Grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast bringing you true crime from around the world. host Cambo, grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast. Hi Islanders, I hope you're all well. Sorry for the week off, but sometimes I just need time to regroup, as you can imagine. Okay, so this week's case is one that shocked the nation. We go to Melbourne during the 2018 Melbourne International Comedy Festival. And it's here that 22-year-old Eurydice Dixon, an aspiring comedian who performed regularly on the Melbourne comedy circuit, had a gig at the Highlander Club in Highlander Lane in the Melbourne CBD. Now tonight I will be reading from Court Records, most of it from Court Records actually, and as usual they will be edited for clarity and flow. Also, The Australian, abc.net.au, SBS, the Gladstone Observer, and on the video there will be a photo from Christopher Morris, and also a chronicle of gastronomy.com. Now, there will be a big trigger warning on this one, especially anyone who's familiar with the case. So, as I mentioned, we go to sunny Melbourne. And speaking of Melbourne, almost a year ago I was down that way for the True Crime Island third birthday celebrations with a bunch of listeners and podcasters, how things change in a year with all this lockdown shit going on. So what that basically means is, I guess it's this week or next week, is fourth birthday of True Crime Island. So thank you all the supporters, all the podcasters out there that have supported the island, four years old. Jeez. I, in fact, I can't remember when I wasn't doing this, so I must have about four years memory. Anyway, let's get into this one. As I mentioned before, tonight's case deals with the rape and murder of Eurydice Dixon, who was brutally attacked after leaving the Highlander Club where she was doing a gig for the Melbourne and Comedy Festival. Eurydice was born on, on the 10th of November 1995 in Melbourne, When she was just seven years old, her mother, Karen Walters, was found dead in a Brunswick shopping centre. Karen had battled heroin addiction for 10 years. Now, Karen's partner, Jeremy Dixon, was described as an anarchist, lawyer and political activist. And he was left to raise Eurydice and her younger brother on his own. Now, Eurydice lived with her father and brother in a housing commission unit in Parkville, which is a northern suburb of Melbourne, not far out of Melbourne either. Comedian Kieran Butler told the Australian newspaper about the first time he saw Eurydice perform stand-up. It was at a little club in Richmond, and she'd never tried comedy before, and he became her mentor. He said she was young, like 19, and she was talking about subjects that nobody talks about when they're 19. She had a fucking hard time growing up. And by her own admission, she was a strange sort of unit. And so she got bullied and she had a tough life at home. There's been tragedy in her past. Now, Eurydice's sister, Polly Cotton, described her as having lived an honourable life. She was gutsy and determined and clever. 
And when I think of her, I feel proud and I feel inspired. So Eurydice was starting to make it with her comedy routines. She could be seen at the Highlander Club in Highlander Lane in the Melbourne CBD. And that's just near the Melbourne Aquarium and the intersection of King and Flinders Street, if you know the area. She had a steady Tuesday night gig there and could also be seen at other venues around the city with her social justice-inspired comedy routine. It was a Tuesday night, June the 12th, that Eurydice had a gig at the Highlander. She was one of four comedians who were scheduled to perform there that night. Now at 8pm, she entered the upstairs function room of the club to prepare for her performance. She was met there by her boyfriend, Tony Magnuson, and Eurydice went on stage at 8.50pm and her set lasted for about 10 minutes. At 10.20pm, after all the performances had concluded, she and Tony met with other friends and talked for about 10 minutes before they left the club. Then Eurydice and Tony, they walked east from the Highlander Lane on Flinders Street towards the Flinders Street Railway Station. They walked to the corner of Swanston Street and Flinders Street. They crossed over the road and waited there for Tony's southbound tram. At 11.05pm, Tony caught a tram towards St Kilda Road. Eurydice crossed the road and momentarily entered the station before cutting through it towards the Flinders Street and Swanston Street intersection. Now it's here that at 11.08pm, 19-year-old James Todd noticed Eurydice Dixon. James Todd lived in Broadmeadows, that's about 16 kilometres north of Melbourne's central business district. He lived here with his parents and two brothers. Now, Todd had behavioural difficulties at home and particularly at school, where he had a history of being disruptive in class. Because of this, he had to change school in his primary education and subsequently he was expelled from secondary college in 2012 while he was in year eight. He then attended an alternative school for young people with difficulties. In February 2013, Dr. C.N. Hughes, a consultant paediatrician, examined Todd after he'd been expelled from secondary college. She considered that he had good intelligence, but that he had Asperger's disorder and that his behaviour and emotional levels were not equivalent to his intellectual levels. Now, due to problems that he experienced at the School for Young People with Difficulties, he didn't complete Year 9. In September 2015, Todd was referred to a psychologist, Dr. Rian Coram, for psychological therapy. During the following year, Dr. Coram noted that Todd engaged well in the treatment sessions that were aimed at developing his ability to regulate his mood, particularly his anger and frustration. She considered that Todd was quite insightful in relation to the nature and management of his problems. Well, everyone makes mistakes. Todd then attended the Melbourne Academy in order to obtain his Year 10 equivalents. After having completed Year 10, Todd was undertaking a hospitality, employment and training program at the Hester Hornbrook Academy in Pran. On the 12th of June... He finished training at the academy at about 3pm. With three of his mates from the academy, Todd caught a train from Pran to Melbourne. After he arrived in the city, he walked with his friends to Batman Park where they all drank a bottle of vodka and a bottle of cider and then they smoked some weed. 
At about 8.30pm, Todd and two of his friends went to Southern Cross Railway Station, which is one station west of Flinders Street Station, and Todd bought a bottle of Jim Beam whiskey and cola and caught a Broad Meadows bound train with one of his friends. Now, Todd exited the train at Newmarket and sometimes later returned alone by train to Flinders Street Railway Station where he arrived at 10.25pm. So, just by some awful coincidence, James Todd and Eurydice Dixon are in the same place at the same time. Now, it's here that Todd noticed Eurydice. He loitered near a construction area as she walked past him to the pedestrian crossing at the intersection of Flinders Street and Swanson Street. At 11.08pm, she commenced to cross Flinders Street, and once she was halfway across the intersection, Todd began to walk in the same direction as her. Eurydice then walked north along Swanson Street on the western side of the road, and as she did so, Todd followed behind her. As he approached Flinders Lane, he overtook her, sat on a stack of milk crates and waited for her to walk past. After Todd allowed her to walk some distance ahead of him, he resumed following her, maintaining a constant distance behind her. Whenever Eurydice slowed down or stopped, he similarly slowed down or stopped. Whenever possible, he moved to the opposite side of objects which obstructed her view of him. And as he did this, he would roll a cigarette in order to make his movements look innocent to casual observers. Todd continued to follow Eurydice along Swanston Street, crossing Burke Street and Lonsdale Street, and still maintaining a constant distance behind her. As Eurydice approached the intersection of Swanston Street and Latrobe Street, she walked down a set of stairs which led into the Melbourne Central Shopping Centre. As Todd arrived at the stairs, Eurydice had walked around a large pillar and was walking back up the stairs onto Swanson Street. Now Todd slowed down using the pillar as cover and let her walk ahead of him as she resumed her course north up Swanson Street. Now when Eurydice stopped at the intersection of Latrobe and Swanson Street and waited for the lights to change, Todd stopped at a nearby pillar and rolled a cigarette. Now, once the lights changed and she resumed walking, he continued to follow her. When Eurydice arrived at the intersection of Swanson Street and Abeckett Street, she found that the pedestrian traffic was diverted to Abeckett Street due to construction works that were then being undertaken. She turned west on that street and Todd followed her. She then turned right into Elizabeth Street and headed north with Todd still behind her. So, for anyone who knows Melbourne, you probably are following this in your mind as we go through Todd stalking his prey. Now, on the video version, I will have a map which you can follow. It's just a little bit of a zigzag. It's basically going north out of the city. Anyway, let's go on. Eurydice continued north on Elizabeth Street to the intersection of Victoria Street opposite the Queen Victoria Market. She walked between the seating area and the restaurant that was at that location. Todd walked to the opposite side of the seating area where he again stopped to roll a cigarette so as to enable Eurydice to get a bit ahead. Eurydice continued north along Elizabeth Street, crossing the intersection of Flemington Road and entering Royal Parade Parkville. Todd continued to follow her, maintaining a steady 15 to 20 seconds distance behind her. At 11.50pm and 42 minutes since starting to follow her, Eurydice walked past the University of Melbourne on Royal Parade. 
Todd was then 50 seconds behind her. And as she continued north, he increased his speed. Within two minutes, Todd had closed the time gap to only 27 seconds behind her. The CCT footage at 11.54pm from the University of Melbourne was the last footage of her. Eurydice continued to walk north along Royal Parade towards Princes Park. At 12.02am on the 13th of June, she sent a message on Facebook Messenger to Tony Magnuson saying, I'm nearly home, HBU, how about you? Princes Park at that point comprised of six soccer pitches arranged in two rows, with three pitches in each row, and the area was dimly lit. Having arrived at the park, Eurydice then proceeded to walk across the soccer pitches from west to east. And after she'd crossed two pitches and had just stepped onto the third pitch, Todd attacked her. Now there is a trigger warning here and I have cut out quite a bit of detail from this already. Todd knocked her to the ground and quickly subdued her. The degree of force that was used in his initial attack on her is evidenced by the injuries sustained by her including a prominent bruise to the forehead with an underlying hemorrhage. Todd then sat on a chest. In the course of the attack, he ripped Eurydice's dress open to the waist and pulled down her bra, exposing her breasts, then tore her underpants in half and raped her. He attempted to rape her again, but he was unable to maintain an erection. Now, During the attack, he had at least one hand around Eurydice's throat. At some stage, he placed both his hands around her throat and compressed downwards on her windpipe with his thumbs, which cut off her airways and killed her. Eurydice was alive when the rape, attempted rape and sexual assault each occurred. Todd then left Eurydice lying on her back with her legs bent. Now, before leaving the scene, Todd took Eurydice's mobile phone and after he left Prince's Park, he walked up to the Royal Park Railway Station where he arrived at 2.14am. He fell asleep and remained there until 4am. Shortly after he awoke, he began to look through Eurydice's mobile phone. He then left and walked back to Prince's Park. By the time he walked past the park, a crime scene had been established following the discovery of Eurydice's body at 2.50am by a passerby, Mr Williams, who was walking home from work through Prince's Park. Now, Mr. Williams had tried mouth-to-mouth and CPR while waiting for emergency services, but his efforts were in vain. Todd then travelled on foot and by tram along Racecourse Road to Boundary Road, North Melbourne. There he purchased a pie and coffee, which he, then he caught a train and then a bus, arriving at his home sometime after 6.15am. Now, shortly after Todd arrived home, he used his iPad to conduct a Google search of the phrase, Princess Park. That provided him with a number of results relating to a discovery of a woman's body in the park and he repeated the same search five minutes later. Then at 6.57am he conducted a Google search of the phrase strangulation and rape porn. That provided a list of websites. Now Todd picked the first website which provided a video category entitled strangled and brutally raped. He navigated through that category to a subcategory entitled Brutal Rape Choking Till Death, Strangle Forced Videos. He then viewed two pages of that search category. Three minutes later, he visited another pornographic website where he viewed a number of pages from the homepage, conducting a search on the website for brunette-specific videos. 
At 7.03am, he conducted a Google search on the phrase, Curvy Emo Girl. He selected the first website offered and he searched through four pages of porno that were listed on that website. During the morning and later in the afternoon, he twice Googled Prince's Park to get news concerning the discovery of Eurydice's body at the park. So I don't want to kink shame anyone here, but this Todd guy is a sick, a really fucking sick asshole. In the meantime, after police had obtained copies of the CCT footage from the area, they identified that the person depicted in the footage to be following Eurydice was connected with her death. Now, as a consequence, excerpts from the footage were broadcast on news segments on live television. A friend of Todd's who'd seen one of those broadcasts contacted him and told him that his face was on the news in relation to the murder. She told him that he had to go to the police or she would contact the police herself. And as a result, at 7.09pm, Todd contacted the Broadmeadows police station. He told the cop who took his call that he'd seen his image on the news, but that he wasn't involved in the death of Eurydice Dixon. He also said that he would go down to the police station. At 8.29pm, Todd went to Broadmeadows police station with his mother. During the interviews that were conducted that night, he gave to police at least three different and conflicting accounts. Now, he spun a farrago of lies. What what a word that is. Farrago of lies to try to evade responsibility for what he had done. Anyway, at 9.15pm, Detective Senior Constable Mead spoke to Todd and cautioned him. Now, Todd told Detective Mead that after he'd had a bit to drink, he had some weed. He'd felt sick and then the night became a blur. He said that he'd caught the bus towards Williamston then returned by train to Flinders Street. He then walked down Elizabeth Street, and because there were no trains, he fell asleep at the Royal Park Railway Station. And when he woke up, he had messages telling him that he was on television. Now, following that, Detective Senior Constable Mead condensed, uh, sorry, commenced a record of interview with him. So, before it was just a chat, and now it is a full-on interview. He was again cautioned and the interview was suspended at 10pm. At 11.43pm, the interview was recommenced with two detectives from the Homicide Squad. From the start of that interview, Todd denied any involvement in the death of Eurydice Dixon. He maintained that denial for a period of 1 hour and 12 minutes in which he responded to some 660 questions. During that phase of the interview, Todd told police that because he'd missed the last train home, he started walking home down Swanson Street. He said that then he diverted around roadworks to Elizabeth Street, taking breaks and catching his breath because he wasn't feeling well. He said that he continued down Elizabeth Street and he asked someone, which was actually Eurydice, for directions and that that person told him the way to the zoo. He then said that he followed the signs to the zoo walked on and slept at Royal Park Railway Station for the night. He said that in the morning he retraced his steps to the main road and walked to Queen Victoria Market. He then made his way down Racecourse Road, got onto a bus and ultimately arrived home. The interview was then suspended at 12.55am in order for the police to prepare documentation in relation to a request for forensic procedures from Todd. Detective Sergeant Miller 
he remained in the interview room with him. He explained to Todd the forensic process which would be undertaken and which included a full examination to record his injuries as well as comparing his DNA sample with those taken from the crime scene. And at that point, Todd responded, Don't worry about the DNA. I did it. I'll tell you everything. The interview was then recommenced at 1.06am. At the beginning of that part of the interview, Todd confirmed what he'd said to Detective Sergeant Miller during the break. He then gave the following, the second version to police. He said that he first saw Eurydice five or ten minutes at the most before she'd reached the park. He said that he didn't cross the road purposely to get her, she just happened to be in front of him, so he asked her for directions. He said that because she could barely tell him which way was which, he thought that once he was off the street, he would get her bag and run off. He then followed her into the park to urinate. He said that she looked like she was stumbling around and was not in a position to defend herself. He told police that he noticed that she was really quite intoxicated. She looked like she was on drugs, which was totally untrue by the way. She had no alcohol or drugs in her system. Todd told them that he only wanted her wallet because he wanted a little bit of money. He said that he went to grab her bag and she hit him and ripped his shirt. He said that he attempted to defend himself, that there was a struggle and that they both went to the ground. He said that he didn't want to get into trouble for something as simple as a little bit of money and so he started to choke her and didn't stop. He told the police that he choked Eurydice for five or ten minutes but it could have been less than that. He said that he could have just taken her bag and run off, but with all the alcohol and drugs that he'd consumed, he wasn't thinking normally. He said that his sole goal was to get some money. He just wanted to leave, get home and forget. So he made his way to Royal Park Railway Station and went to sleep. Now, Detective Sergeant Miller then asked him directly, did you rape her? It was only at that point that he first admitted to sexually assaulting and raping Eurydice. He responded, I attempted to, yeah, unsuccessfully. He then told police that he was sorry that he kept lying and Detective Sergeant Miller asked him to give a full account of everything and it was at this stage that he gave a further and the third version of what happened. Now in that version, Todd told police that he'd asked Eurydice for directions, followed her into the park, grabbed her from behind and pulled her to the ground and then she started to scream. He said that his intentions at that time was just to take her stuff, but when Eurydice started screaming and she was underneath him, he thought, well, I've already taken it so far. Accordingly, he said he ripped a shirt and pants. He admitted to pulling her undies down and choking her. He claimed that when he grabbed Eurydice and dragged her to the ground, it was not for the purpose of raping her, but that he'd made that decision once he'd pinned her underneath him. Now, Todd told police that he first noticed Eurydice about 20 minutes before the incident at Flinders Street. However, he said that he didn't have any intentions in relation to her until much later on. He told police that he'd followed her for quite a while because of how she was acting. Now, the interview was suspended at 1.37am and he underwent a forensic examination. And subsequently, the interview recommenced at 6.06am. During that phase of the interview, when he was asked how Eurydice Dixon was strangled, he said, It was just my two thumbs on the windpipe. I was over the top of her, attempting to restrain her hands. I managed to get my knees up towards her shoulders in an attempt to keep her hands from hitting me. He said that he leaned on Eurydice's throat with his grip strength. 
He said that in the course of the assault on Eurydice, he, has sex- he sexually assaulted her for 15 seconds. He said that he then attempted to rape Eurydice, but was unsuccessful because he couldn't maintain an erection. He also said that he assaulted her in the final way, but he was also unsuccessful, and that Eurydice was still conscious and fighting him at that point. He said that he didn't remove his hand from her throat during the whole of the attack. An autopsy was carried out. The findings of the pathologist included injuries consistent with vaginal penetration. They showed blunt force injuries to the head, torso and limbs, and bruises to the right jawline, hands, right knee and leg. There was also the bruise to the forehead with an underlying hemorrhage. The findings relevant to the cause of death included bruises to both sides of the neck, abrasions of the lower front of the neck, bruising to the muscles of the neck, and a hemorrhage adjacent to the left thyroid bone. Now, the cause of death was unsurprisingly found to be compression of the neck causing asphyxiation or possibly reflex cardiac arrest. Swabs, which were then taken during the autopsy, were submitted for analysis. Semen was detected on a swab from the perineum and from two areas on the front of Eurydice's dress. DNA analysis established effectively that James Todd was the contributor of that semen. So, Islanders, what an absolute waste of life. Not only the senseless rape and murder of an innocent young woman walking home at night from doing something she loves so much, but also the senseless waste of a life that is James Todd, just a piece of shit human being that decided to take out his perversions in real life. A psychological examination of Todd over many months revealed that he'd increasingly searched for and consumed ultra-hardcore rape and snuff porn. Also, Todd had active sexual fantasies, which involved him having rough, non-consensual sex with women, which became more consistent with the extreme violent pornography that he was viewing on the internet. He told the shrinks that over that period, his sexual fantasies became increasingly dark and that he invested a lot of time and emotion into those fantasies in which he was always in control, in which the other person was always female and always ended up deceased. It was, it was also found that Todd had previously searched out rape porn involving women that had a goth style, very sort of similar to Eurydice Dixon. Well, Todd went to trial. He pled guilty to all charges, rape, attempted rape, sexual assault and murder. Now, I'll read out some of the judge's summary before he was sentenced. The judge said, The offences committed by you of murder and rape and indeed attempted rape and sexual assault were most serious. In particular, I'm satisfied that the offence of murder committed by you was well above what could be described as middle-ranger seriousness of murder offences, taking into account only the objective factors relating to your offending. I have reached that conclusion for the following reasons. The murder committed by you was not spontaneous. Throughout the period in which you trailed behind her on a way to Prince's Park, you were seriously contemplating and indeed obsessed with the thought of raping and choking her to death. During the whole of that period, you had ample opportunity to come to your senses, to desist from following her and to prevent the happening of the dreadful events that ensued. At the time you attacked and raped and killed her, Eurydice Dixon was totally vulnerable, defenceless and helpless. 
You set upon her after she'd crossed two soccer fields so that you were well secluded from the view of any person who might be passing along Royal Parade. You had the advantage of surprise, and it would seem quite clearly from what occurred superior strength. The murder by you of Eurydice occurred in the context of the events that immediately preceded it, namely the rape, attempted rape and sexual assault that you had committed on her. The method by which you murdered Eurydice was appalling. The act of choking her to death so that she suffocated was callous, cruel and brutal. Your actions in the period that followed the murder aggravated the objective seriousness of your offending. There's no evidence that the vicious acts by which you raped and murdered your victim troubled your conscience at all. Rather, you used Eurydice's mobile phone, slept and ate, and accessed pornographic websites, including a website of videos that involved acts of brutal rape culminating in the death of a victim by strangulation. In the immediate aftermath of your offending, you had an entire and utter lack of concern for what you'd done to an innocent and decent young woman. So... On those charges, charge one of rape, he was sentenced to 11 years. On charge two, attempted rape, he was sentenced to seven years. On charge three, sexual assault, he was sentenced to two years. And on the fourth charge, murder, he was sentenced to life imprisonment. Now, he would serve all sentences concurrently, so his total effective sentence is life imprisonment. The judge directed that he serve a minimum of 35 years before he would be eligible for parole. Now, Tony Magnuson... Eurydice's boyfriend said that night she was in high spirits following a successful performance of a new comedy routine at the CBD's Highlander Bar. They had a knockoff drink before leaving the venue at around 10.40pm, grabbing some food at a nearby store and heading home. He said she was happy and content. She gave me a hug, blew me a kiss and said she was going for a walk. She was on top of the world because her gig went so well. Again, the people with the real-life sentence here are Eurydice's friends and family. I mean, they may get justice in a court, but they still bear the scars of James Todd's actions. But that's not the only thing that was fucked up about this case. An impromptu memorial was established on the sports oval at Princess Park, close to where the Eurydice had been raped and murdered. Many people left flowers and wreaths at the memorial site, which was featured in pieces by electronic and print media. Moreover, a vigil had been organised to be held at the memorial at the memorial site on Monday, 18th of June, 2018, at 5:30 p.m. Now, that was just five days after her murder. The forthcoming vigil was widely publicised, including all over social media. But at about 2:30 a.m. on the 18th of June, 2018, Andrew Nolch drove his vehicle to the site of the memorial. And on the grass directly in front of the memorial, Nolch painted the picture of a penis. The penis was 25 metres by 5 metres in dimension and was depicted to be ejaculating directly onto the memorial. Now, Nolch said that he had no permission to enter the memorial site and paint a penis onto the grass. So this fuckwit does this just hours before Eurydice's vigil was due to start. I mean, what what the fuck? fuck is wrong with you, Nolch? You fucking piece of shit. I mean, what is wrong with people? He was caught and he pled guilty to the charge of damaging property. 
the magistrate put him on a community corrections order, a CCO, of 18 months duration with conditions that he performed 200 hours community work, that he be under the supervision of the secretary and that he undergo a men's behavioural change or other offender behaviour program as directed. He was also ordered to pay $5,500 compensation to the Metropolitan Fire Brigade and $14,055 to the City of Melbourne. Yeah, well, he didn't do any of what was required by him and he went to Thailand and the Philippines instead. So he ended up getting locked up for five months on the initial charge of damaging property and a 14 days on the charge of contravening the CCO. His defence was that he was just being a dickhead. Yeah, right mate, we all know that. Well Islanders, another case to give you the rage. You know, Todd, other than the issues he had at school, basically he had no criminal record. So at 19 years of age, he's found himself inside for life. I mean, how does society really protect itself from these types? Eurydice took a lot of precautions to try and stay safe. When you have scum like Todd around, that still just isn't enough. He stalked her, followed her for nearly an hour before he cowardly attacked her when he knew there would be no one around to see him. Well, CCTV from numerous locations along the way was watching, not that that helped Eurydice. Her thoughts go out to all her family and friends. Okay, that's it for this week and the end of another episode. And now we get on to the end of the show bits. To Patreon, thanks to all my past, present and new patrons for your financial support. It really does make a difference as True Crime Island is commercial free for all. So no, no annoying ads for undies or anything like that. And all my content is available for everyone, no matter if you can donate or not. And this week, a big shout out to Victor Martinez, Nick and Fiona. Thank you all so much. And if you want to help out the island, you can go to patreon.com forward slash truecrimeisland. Stickers will be sent out this week to Rodney, Blair and Robin. If you don't like the monthly thing, you can also send beer money to PayPal. PayPal link is donate.truecrimeisland.com or paypal.me forward slash truecrimeisland. I have sent emails out to some people who are getting mugs this week, so please check your email because I need you to confirm your shipping address. Support yourself before you support the island because I know times are fucking tough at the moment. Now I have merch at Thread, Threadless and Redbubble now. I've updated my website, truecrimeisland.com. There's contact called, there's a link, sorry, called Contact and Merch. That will get you lots of things there. There's also links on my website to Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, which I really haven't been doing much with lately. Just posting basically each episode. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing. Also by sharing it with your friends and family. Easy to do. Please feel free to check out my YouTube channel and subscribe. Now, congratulations to Dan Robinson, who won the 1,000 sub t-shirt giveaway. And Dan was one of the first subscribers to the YouTube channel, so good on you, Dan. When you're on there, please feel free to comment, subscribe, and get notifications. Hit the little bell. I've also added a link for this on my website. Now, there may be one or two weeks missing in the next couple of weeks because I'm currently doing a video for Missing in Michigan, which I'll let you know more about it as soon as I can. If you want to contact me, the best way is cambo at truecrimeisland.com. All the other ways are so difficult. 
for me to go back over and search if you've got case suggestions. Okay, that's about it. I've been your host, Cambo. You've been listening to True Crime Island, and as I always say, don't forget to delete your browser history. Good night, and boom fucker